Hey, back once again to solve all of the world's problems. One problem at a time. Well, no, that's too much for one kid. But what about a load of us together? Today's episode is going to showcase all the amazing ways the school kids of Ireland are coming up with solutions to climate change. We went to the enormous melting pot of ideas that is the BT Young Scientists and Technology Exhibition 2020 and what a crazy day it was. Over two thirds of the projects entered this year related to environmental issues. It's clear that the message is well and truly out. We are the future and we will do our all to save it. So let's see how many we can fit into one e-collusion. First up, the P word, plastics. We met several groups trying to come up with a solution to the disposable issue that's not going away. My name is Kleena Oki and my project is about biodegradable plastics. One of the polymers I made, I based off a recipe I found online, but it was a cornstarch one. But I improved it through tons of experimentations, like ratios, heating time, thickness, everything like that. And then I created a brand new plastic. I believe I'm the first person to do it. I couldn't find anywhere else who has done it before. So it is a plastic made of eggshells and egg whites. And because eggshells, there's so many eggshells that are wasted every year. Companies have to pay to dispose of them. So why not use them as a waste product? The plastic would probably be suitable for, like, food industry because it's natural and when you're done with this you can just throw it into your garden and then it will biodegrade and in fact it's actually really good for the soil and for the plants. Bioplastic is one answer but are there other alternatives? Two students from my school think so. Shout out to Ben and Yi Chang. Well I'm Ben Banerjee and that's Yi Chang Wang. We were investigating alternative packaging materials to plastic. The two most economically viable materials that companies could use are one called bagasse which is made from sugarcane residues from producing sugar. And the other one is called rock paper, which is made from powdered limestone. So it's a bit like plaster of Paris. We were just looking into the various properties of these materials and seeing how they could be effectively used to package goods and stuff like that. These materials can replace disposable plastic, which is a serious uh, hazard for our health and environment. And it can also replace paper, which leads to global warming and deforestation. Changing the way people like do things is always going to be difficult, especially for multinational companies. So we just need to find a series of attributes that we could apply to things. They're cheap. You can import them. They're lightweight. And we need to combine those all together to make something that is feasible as an alternative. It's just about making something convincingly useful that companies would probably buy into if they want, were to use an alternative material to packaging. But what if the bowl you eat from and the cutlery you use could be eaten? Uh, my name's Alex Healy. My name is Molly Healy and we're both from Colossia Kiron in Croom, County Limerick. Our project is Comestibles, so it's an edible solution to replace single-use plastic. We started this project after finding out that they were going to introduce a ban on single-use plastic in government-run facilities. So we came up with these edible bowls and cutlery to replace it. We use water, flour, salt and oil in, in making these. We did a total of seven different experiments uh, using different flours and ingredients to find out which was the best. We've tried to make them gluten-free using rice flour, but the, the flour wasn't moldable enough to make the bowls or spoons. So they take six weeks to decompose in a compost bin. You can feed them to birds if you don't want to eat them. Plastic is doing great damage. For example, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch is a bunch of plastic in the middle of the ocean. It's around 5.25 trillion pieces of plastic, over 269,000 tonnes of plastic on the surface, 
and 4 billion microfibers of plastic per square kilometre. Hearing the scale of the plastic problem gets me every time. But how seriously do we all take the issue of climate change? Hi, I'm Neil Hayes from Christ King Secondary School and our project is about what young people think about climate change versus what older people think about it. I'm Quiva Byrne and I'm working with Neil on our project. We wanted to find out how young and old people, how their opinions differ when we talk about climate change. They think similarly about climate change but that older people actually seem to be doing more. So we asked a question about like, how have you reduced your use of plastic? And 52.7% of older people said that they have greatly reduced their plastic versus 30.9% of younger people. With other questions like we ask, have you altered your diet? And more older people said that they eat less meat and more young people said that they've made no change. And then like more young people were like kind of vegan though and like vegetarian than older people. I think that young people, we've kind of grown up knowing that our climate is changing and that's why... We did the project to find out because we think the young people, they know more about the effects. They have a more radical view. Even with my own parents, like, I'd be telling them, like, you know, bring the bag to the shop. And, like, they are, like, changing more because I think that the young people are definitely speaking up and I think the old people are definitely starting to listen, especially, like, that it's us that it's going to be affecting. Like, it's not really going to be them as much. There is an alternative view on this, though, as another group investigated. I'm Ryan. I'm Stefan. Uh, I'm Evan, Presentation College Bray. Where our project is on, is humanity becoming more eco-friendly? We created an ecological footprint calculator, which is a survey uh, in which uh, people answer questions about their human activity. From these answers, we get a result of how many Earths would take if everyone in the world had the same human activity as you. We split the survey into five sub-surveys and gave it to different generations. For example, primary school, secondary school, third level, adults and retired group. And they each did a survey and we calculated the results and put them into three separate graphs. From our results, we, uh, we saw that uh, actually younger people are less ecologically friendly in terms of carbon emissions. Primary school students are actually the worst for the environment. Secondary school students are the second worst for the environment. College it gets better, they're, they're, they're less bad. And retired people are the best for the environment. Clothing, obviously they're going to have to get new clothes because they're growing. Primary school kids are the worst. Never expected that. But I guess we do grow a lot. Can't you quit growing? No? Uh, well then, what could we do to take down a footprint? Well, uh, buying less clothes, eating less meat, recycling more food, composting, walking to school instead of driving. Stuff that people have been telling them for quite a while. Um, shorter showers, you know, bath, bath, obviously showers instead of baths. Turning the lights off when you leave a room. Just basic stuff to become more eco-friendly. Meat is, it has a big impact on the environment because trees are getting cut down for farming. It's not just about uh, getting the actual meat itself. It's like transporting the meat, the, the animals and everything. So one question on our survey alone uh, could um, impact your score and could double it just because you're eating meat more than once a day. I try to eat meat uh, only three times, three or four times a week. I kind of appreciate veganism more. I think if you were to say one thing about meat, the main message is you don't need to cut it out of your diet entirely. But if you can cut down on your consumption of meat, that would make a great positive impact for the environment. Meat is definitely something that needs to be talked about. But again, it gets confusing. We'll return to it a little later in the programme. Each of us can take a step in the right direction, but what if the way we're getting there is the wrong one? 
My name is Lauren Crow. And my name is Grace Conway. We're from Dominican College, Taylor's Hill. Our project is about the environmental cost of driving your secondary school student to school. In our project, we sent out a questionnaire to all first years asking about what car they travelled in and how many kilometres they travelled to and from school and if they got the bus and we got loads of results back. The results we got is that 70% of people drive to school, 20% of people take the bus, 10% walk and most surprisingly 0% of people cycle. Well it's different for people further away from the school because you can't cycle when you're 40 minutes away. What we'd really like um, is for the government to ring fence some of the carbon tax into public transport and better bus services and cycle lanes and better ways to help kids get to school without using the car. Transport is responsible for around 20% of the world's carbon emissions and there's just so many different ways that we can reduce this just in our homes. The reality is it might be a little bit more effort to take the bus but really when you think about it what we're doing to our environment the whole school would emit 204 metric tons of carbon in a year. One metric ton of carbon would be like bigger than a bus. So that's that's a lot. That's kind of scary. Well if young people are part of the problem too, are schools doing a good job of teaching us about the issues? The kids at the exhibition had mixed feelings. Our school is a green school. We got our first green flag last year, and this year we're trying to get another green flag. Um, so our whole school is aware of the whole climate change and trying to improve the environment. We're not really taught anything. Like There's no subject or anything that informs you about how your choices impact the environment? Well, I don't remember ever being taught about it in primary school at all, and I just feel like it could be a stronger thing being taught there as well. I would say, like, five, six years ago, they wouldn't have been as educated about it as we are now. When we couldn't see the clear effects of it, we didn't know as much about it, so I think they do. When I was growing up, I didn't really learn that many sustainable habits, so I feel maybe in schools there should be more of a focus, especially in the junior cert. We're the generation that's going to have to reverse climate change, so we, it's crucial that we come up with sustainable habits that we can teach the younger generations. Dr Shane, a resident zoologist, has spent years teaching kids about science and nature. Shane, firstly, why do you think school is a good place for invention? OK, well, kids are really good receptacles for science knowledge because they're blank slates. Because you guys out there are still learning A lot of adults out there think they know everything. They've been taught in a particular school system and they think that they know it all. Whereas you guys out there, you've got so much more to learn and there's so much more knowledge out there now than there ever was, even when I was growing up. The other thing is that you know how to get it. It's all there at your fingertips. Back when I was learning about this stuff, I had to go and get a book out of a library. Do you remember books? Nowadays, you can take out your phone. You can search in the computer at home. It's really easy to learn very, very quickly. What you need to be mindful of, though, is is that information right? Is it coming from a source, a place that I can trust? Is it coming from a random newspaper? Is it coming from a random blog? Or is it coming from something like Britannica or something like the International Union for the Conservation of Nature? A source that you can trust. But what if, like some of these kids say, your school isn't talking enough about green issues? Well, you're sitting in a classroom with a group of your friends in the class and the teacher's up in front there and the headmaster is in a different office. Um, 
You can't decide how to run that school, but what you can do is ask a teacher, can we do this in the garden out the back of the school? Do we have a football pitch and is the edge of that being used? Can it be encouraged with biodiversity? Are we collecting the rainwater from the roof? And if not, why not? Where's the water coming from in our toilets that we're flushing down? There's lots of different things, small things that you might not be able to change in the school, but you can ask someone to start changing. And that's the important thing because it's you guys that now have as much knowledge about this stuff as your teacher, as your headmaster. So it's up to you to ask them to change, to ask them to think about these things that you know so much about. Thanks, Doc. We do have the power to influence and educate. However, it's important we kids get to have a childhood and have fun. In these strange times, though, some students are thinking about their own future decisions. My name is Ronald Murphy and I'm from Bushbos Primary School in County Louth. My name is Stacking Cavanagh. Is it ethical to have children in a world being ruined by climate change? So we used surveys and an ethics study to find out information about all this. So using the survey we found that 76% of people believe that a larger population would affect climate change and 74% of people said that we should not reduce the amount of children people have and 62% said that it is ethical for children to be born in the world being ruined by climate change. We asked um, people in our school and we tried to vary the age groups and the year groups and the genders because we wanted to get a mixed amount of results and try to make it as equal as possible. I'm not trying to tell people don't have children or anything like that because obviously if you don't have children there'll be no one there to save the world when it needs saving. I'm just saying maybe people should be more educated on it. We've often spoken about influencing your adults in how they shop and what they buy. But is it that easy to know how much damage the things we buy are doing? My name is Emin O'Boyle. I'm from Gonzaga College. My name is Alex McDonald. I'm also from Gonzaga College. Our project is called What's the Carbon Cost? We were investigating whether or not if uh, we gave people information on how bad a product was for the environment, would it change whether they bought it or not? We did this by having a survey. We had one survey where it didn't give them the information and one survey where it did get the information. And in the end, we got an 11% difference, so it does have an effect. Originally, we collected receipts from 10 different families to see if there was any correlation in uh, the products that they bought. We decided to find uh, the top 15 products from that and we put them in the survey and then labelled them with or without the uh, carbon footprint. So most products had uh, other carbon-neutral packaging or uh, information about nutrients and stuff, but we emailed all the suppliers. Most didn't respond, only six did, and most said it was a private company and they couldn't provide the information to uh, the public. Well, I found the lack of any information to do with the carbon impact of grocery shopping to be very shocking because it's the third highest expenditure of Irish households just after transport and housing. There's loads of stuff about eco-friendly houses and eco-friendly transport, e-cars and solar panels and all that kind of stuff, but there's nothing provided for um, grocery shopping, even though it has a huge impact on the environment. Everyone we contacted, every company and supermarket we contacted, refused to give us any information about how bad their product was with the environment, basically. Well, it's maybe both more and less anxious about the environment because it's revealed some uh, shocking things about how little people care about their carbon impact when shopping but also that if we keep reminding them about it and tell them and give them clear information about what is and what isn't good for the environment, they will do the right thing and choose the eco-friendly option. We met two teams who had come up with different solutions to this very problem. 
My name is Ruth Shanley and I'm from Sacred Heart Secondary School in Clonakilty. My name is Sinead Donovan. My name is Ruby Edmead. Our project's about labelling the carbon footprint of the food on the packaging of the product. So a common misconception is that the majority of the carbon comes from the food miles so that the further away country the products come from, the bigger the carbon footprint. But this isn't always true. For example, if tomatoes are grown locally out of season, the artificial light and heat used to grow them in the local climate actually emits more carbon than importing them from another country sometimes would. So the country of origin label isn't always the most accurate. You know, a footprint label would give the consumer more information to make informed decisions. With our label, we decided to put in a footprint because carbon footprint and then we decided to use a traffic light system so it was green for good orange for kind of a medium footprint and then red for a bad footprint and then we'd have like the amount of carbon produced by the production and transportation of that product on the footprint as well. I think definitely manufacturers with a high carbon footprint would definitely not want to have the red carbon footprint on their product because it would disencourage consumers to buy their product, which would not be good for them. If it's at a low carbon footprint, consumers will want to like pick the products with a lower carbon footprint and like it will make the product more popular. As well, it will put pressure on manufacturers to reduce the carbon footprint of their product. As, as Ruth said already, nobody wants to see the red label on their product, so they would do their best to make their product as carbon footprint friendly as they can. My name is Grania and I'm from Eureka, secondary school in Kells. My name is Katie Sheridan. My name is Anya Rooney. We designed a new label that shows the country of origin. Uh, it's very clear and visible. And we also put in an eco rating so that the consumers know the product's effects on the environment and how much carbon emissions the product has from transportation, cold storage and waste. We found that apples from Chile or anything that comes like a long distance by plane, because plane is the worst for the environment, they always have a really bad score. So we actually have the supermarket labels at the minute here and uh, as you can see like the print is tiny. Hopefully our labels, like it gives all consumers all the information they need to kind of make more educated kind of uh, decision. We've done um, a survey and we asked the question, please state how much you agree or disagree with the following statement. If I had more information about a product in country of origin and how it's transported, I would make different shopping decisions. And 37% said they strongly agree and 49% said they somewhat agree. So that's um, like 80% overall um, of over 200 people surveyed. We hope that supermarkets will bring it into their stores because it's easy to do. They have all the information and they just have to sub it into our formula and it will be easily implemented. It would be amazing if supermarkets did come on board with some form of eco-labeling. It would make shopping a lot easier. Oh, and congratulations to the girls from Kells there. Their project won a special prize. The HP Enterprise Innovation for Good Award. Well deserved. I said we'd come back to meet... Mmm, ham. Sinead from Clonakilty has a good point to make. Um, generally, a meat and dairy products, beef is the the worst product and milk and eggs follow shortly after. Poor lamb as well is high carbon footprint product. We really do need to think about what we eat a lot more. But as one student found out, veganism isn't a perfect solution either. My name is Kate Byrne. I'm in Loretto Abidoki. My project is all about vegetarian and veganism. There's been quite a few reports going around social media that vegans are causing a lot of problems to do with climate change as well. 
part of this issue is the soybean. It produces a lot of meat substitutes for vegans and vegetarians. Tofu is made of the soybean and a lot of things are made from it. The production of the soybean actually emits a lot of nitrous oxide into the atmosphere and this is nearly just as bad as meat releasing methane. Vegans and vegetarians have to kind of have more carbohydrates than omnivores because they have to keep up their health and up their energy throughout the day. 2.5% of man-made global warming is actually caused directly from rice plantations, which is not a thing that most people know. It's because of the production process with all the tractors, the water needed to grow it, and also transporting it from one country to another. Vegans and vegetarians that have become vegan or vegetarian for the environment don't actually know most of this. The best kind of meat substitute to use is corn. Corn is a fungi, and it doesn't have any negative environmental effects so it's usually the best thing to have if i do become a vegetarian or vegan in the future i know now what to eat and what not to eat for my health and also for the environment kate's correct the better informed we are on all the issues the better our decisions oh no i see a familiar subject creeping over the horizon my name is kaya i'm a vegan uh, my name is Sean and we're from Dunshockland Community College. Our project is called Eating Bugs to Save the World and it's about looking at insects as a resource as a whole kind of. Obviously cows and other types of farming at the minute is a, is a, is a really topical issue, especially when it comes to sustainability. We're kind of looking at not only the nutritional aspect of eating insects, but the sustainability aspect as well. Unlike cows and pigs and chickens and stuff like that, the farming of insects can be done vertically, so it doesn't really contribute to land clearing. They produce way less greenhouse gases like methane and they take very little water and uh, feed to actually get useful food from. As you can tell, like, it's kind of like lobster and shrimp and all, but like people just because like, insects are like, ew, like, I don't want to try that. But when we were giving it to the younger classes in our school, they were like, more like, intrigued to, buy, like, to eat them, and they went straight forward. But when we were doing it to the senior students, they were kind of like, they're a bit iffy, and they were kind of like, ew, like, I don't really want to try it, like it's an insect. But then they got over the fact and they, most of them ate them. <laughs> Mostly crickets. We also had grasshoppers, mealworms, buffalo worms, and then we had flavoured crickets and plain crickets. In short, I think it's definitely a, a, a cool path to go down to. They can be fed on like vegetable peels and stuff like that, so human waste can go into literally farming for new food, um, and especially in countries that have a, a food problem. That could be massive. Lara Hanlon would be pleased to know she has allies eating crickets. I think I need a breathment after that worm burger or some gum. My name is Molly McDonnell. My name is Ema Gillen. My name is Jessica Collins and we're from Our Ladies Bower Athlone. Our project is biodegradable chewing gum and we came up with the idea because a company called Binnick came into our school last year and they told us how nobody bins their gum when they're done and it just sticks to all the footpaths and roads and it costs a lot of money to remove. And so we thought, if they don't bin their gum when they're done, why don't we make something that biodegrades if they don't bin their gum when they're done? So first we researched what was in normal chewing gum, and we found that it was made of synthetic rubbers, which don't biodegrade. So we researched more and found that you could replace it with gluten. Gluten is a protein that it's made of amino acids that cling together and make it like a rubber. It's meant to be taste of mint, so we use peppermint essence to use that. And then it's stretchy, very stretchy. Well, I'm sure people have tried to do it before, but nobody has actually carried it through. And everyone's just taking the easy option of buying other types of chewing gum that don't biodegrade. And I think we should try and change that. Every year, 
the Young Scientists and Technology Exhibition throws up amazing inventions to problems we didn't even know we had. Waste was at the centre of many projects this year. Mainly, how can we make better use of it? I'm Ryan Gray. I'm Luke Dalton. I'm Ty Kearney, St Mary's Dawson School Drawdown. Uh, the name of our project is Rotten Energy and the goal of our project was to be able to create energy from rotten food and veg. We would take the rotten organic fruit and veg from homes, bring them to a plant. It would be turned from chemical energy into electrical energy and batteries and then sold back to homes and businesses. I think it's one thing to do due to the amount of food waste already in our environment and also with global warming climate change that we need to we need to change something and we still need new sustainable energy sources and this is one of them. You know we're fans of wind on Ecolution? Oops. And so is this group. My name is Michael Hockey, this is my colleague Killian Bergen. Today we're talking about our project. It's an electricity generating chimney turbine. Most people use some sort of solid fuel or fuel in their house of, of, to power like a heating system. So most of the energy that you're using in your stove is going up the chimney and being wasted. For our project, we thought of a way to harness this waste electricity. It's also assisted by the wind going in the atmosphere. Even when your fire isn't burning, you can still be generating electricity from your device, which can then be stored in the battery and you can use to charge your phone or use some sort of electricity around your house then. So if this is mounted on your chimney or other, any other way, anywhere else, wherever you mount it, we plan to, if you leave this overnight in your house on for maybe a night, we plan to you'll be able to wake up and plug your phone into this battery and you'll be able to charge your phone fully. We plan to maybe upgrade this to industrial use. So for example, if you see the chimneys in factories and creameries and just all sorts of industrial areas, there's massive amounts of energy being wasted up the chimney with smoke and steam and everything like that. We plan to be able to upscale this project to that scale. The whole device is very cheap in comparison to a wind turbine. That's why we believe it's a more efficient solution than a wind turbine. Clean water is an issue for so many, with pollution feeling ever closer to home. Boil notices have been in force across the whole of Ireland at some point over the past year, and someone has a solution. My name is Aoife. I'm from St. Aloysius College in Carrigtool, and my project is basically taking photocatalytic materials to purify water. A photocatalyst, when imagined water, can be used to break down various pollutants. When I place my photocatalyst into polluted water, it breaks down the pollutant and eventually forms purified water, which is safe to drink. It removes most pollutants and removes all organic compounds, which are very carcinogenic and neurotoxic. In the developing world, roughly 5,000 children a day die due to lack of clean water. And a very popular method there is to take plastic bottles and fill them with dirty water and leave them under light to kill off bacteria. My current photocatalyst is significantly more effective than the current ones. It's about 450,000 times more effective than the current research standard. So I can purify about a litre in about an hour. You can purify water very, very quickly. The carbon tax was introduced here to try and help in the fight against climate change. But could we do something that actively helps? My name's Hannah Morrissey and I'm from West Cork. So I'm looking at the carbon tax, carbon emissions and forestry. The carbon tax was introduced in 2013 by the government to be charged on fuels to kind of encourage people to reduce their carbon emissions and how much they're spending on oils, petrol, diesel and all that type of stuff. Up until 2019, the carbon tax wasn't directed towards anything in particular. So it was just going into a general kind of fund for the government. I was kind of thinking, if it's not being used for anything, why don't I make a hypothetical scenario where it's put towards afforestation. I wanted to see which type of tree, coniferous or broadleaf, over a long period of time would store more carbon. 70% of Irish forests are coniferous. After kind of 80 years, though the coniferous trees start storing carbon at a faster rate than the broadleaves, after 80 years they kind of stabilise, whereas the, the broadleaf trees continue to rise. 
only 11% of Ireland's total land mass is forests, which is the second lowest in all of Europe. So we could, in, we could increase it, and we probably should. Trees can't be the only answer, and Hannah pointed out that no matter how many trees we plant, it has to be part of a greater effort. There's no one-stop solution. But the halls of the RDS were filled with young thinkers, each with a different take on how we can use innovation and personal change to make our world a better place. I remember back in the good old days when I was in The Young Scientist, only two years ago. It was full of young, inspirational people that just want to do good for everybody. In fact, I'll leave the final word with them. Is the world in good hands for the future? Yeah, I think definitely, like, even at events like this, like, today, you can already see, like, solutions packaging and, like, everything, and it's so cool to see we're in transition year, and this is kind of the first year we're starting to kind of talk about climate change, like, in class. When we were asked, like, oh, in geography, what do you want to learn about? And, like, the whole class, we were like, climate change, like, that's all we want to know about, literally. I think once they have the information that they can come up with anything, really... I think if we try hard enough as a global community, yes, we could fix climate change. It is a huge problem, but even today, like there's, I think they're saying three quarters of the project was on global climate change and the climate crisis. And I think everyone here was giving ideas on how we can reduce our carbon emissions and help combat climate change. And I think that's definitely like, if you're feeling anxious about it, it's a good indicator that people are willing to change. You know, as Greta Thunberg said, that nobody is too small to make a difference. Playing your own part can reduce worry as well because you know that you've contributed to helping it somewhat. I think 60% of the people in this competition are women. And so more women are starting to do science and getting heard. I feel like projects like this can give you like a small bit more hope because it's just one little thing can change a lot. I think we have to be hopeful because if we give up now, nothing's going to change. Evolution was produced by Nikki Coughlin for RTE Junior Radio. Most of the material recorded for this podcast was gathered on a bike. 